Section six of The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Nigel Carrington in London, April 2011. The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes, Volume One. The Duchess of Wiltshire's Diamonds by Guy Boothby, Part Two. At half-past seven he dined, and afterwards smoked a meditative cigar over the evening paper in the billiard-room. The invitations to the ball were for ten o'clock, and at nine-thirty he went to his dressing-room. "'Make me tidy as quickly as you can,' he said to Belton when the latter appeared, "'and while you're doing so, listen to my final instructions. "'Tonight, as you know, I am endeavouring to secure the Duchess of Wiltshire's necklace.' "'Tomorrow morning all London will resound with the hubbub, "'and I have been making my plans in such a way "'as to arrange that Climo shall be the first person consulted. "'When the messenger calls, if call he does, "'see that the old woman next door bids him tell the Duke "'to come personally at twelve o'clock. Do you understand?' "'Perfectly, sir. Very good. "'Now give me the jewel-case and let me be on. "'You need not sit up for me.' Precisely as the clocks in the neighbourhood were striking ten, Simon Carne reached Belgrave Square, and, as he hoped, found himself the first guest. His hostess and her husband received him in the anteroom of the drawing-room. "'I come laden with a thousand apologies,' he said, as he took her grace's hand and bent over it with that ceremonious politeness which was one of the man's chief characteristics. "'I am most unconscionably early, I know, but I hastened here in order that I might personally return the jewel-case you so kindly lent me. I must trust your generosity to forgive me. The drawings took longer than I expected.' "'Please do not apologise,' answered her grace. "'It is very kind of you to have brought the case yourself. "'I hope the illustrations have proved successful. "'I shall look forward to seeing them as soon as they are ready. "'But I am keeping you holding the box. "'One of my servants will take it to my room.' "'She called a footman to her and bade him take the box "'and place it upon her dressing-table. "'Before it goes, I must let you see that I have not damaged it, "'either externally or internally,' said Khan with a laugh. "'It is such a valuable case that I should never forgive myself "'if it had even received a scratch during the time it has been in my possession.' So saying, he lifted the lid, and allowed her to look inside. To all appearance it was exactly the same as when she had lent it to him earlier in the day. "'You have been most careful,' she said. And then, with an air of banter, she continued, "'If you desire it, I shall be pleased to give you a certificate to that effect.' They jested in this fashion for a few moments after the servant's departure, during which time Khan promised to call upon her the following morning at eleven o'clock, and to bring with him the illustrations he had made, and a queer little piece of china he had had the good fortune to pick up in a dealer's shop the previous afternoon. By this time fashionable London was making its way up the grand staircase, and with its appearance further conversation became impossible. Shortly after midnight Khan bade his hostess good night and slipped away. He was perfectly satisfied with his evening's entertainment. And if the key of the jewel-case were not turned before the jewels were placed in it, he was convinced they would become his property. It speaks well for his strength of nerve when I record the fact that on going to bed his slumbers were as peaceful and untroubled as those of a little child. Breakfast was scarcely over next morning before a hansom drew up to his front door and Lord Amberley alighted. 
he was ushered into khan's presence forthwith and on seeing that the latter was surprised at his early visit hastened to explain my dear fellow he said as he took possession of the chair the other offered him i have come round to see you on most important business as i told you last night at the dance when you so kindly asked me to come and see the steam yacht you had purchased i had an appointment with wiltshire at half-past nine this morning on reaching belgrave square i found the whole house in confusion servants were running hither and thither with scared faces the butler was on the borders of lunacy the duchess was well-nigh hysterical in her boudoir while her husband was in his study vowing vengeance against all the world you alarm me said khan lighting a cigarette with a hand that was as steady as a rock what on earth has happened i uh, think i might safely allow you fifty guesses and then wager a hundred pounds you'd not hit the mark and yet in a certain measure it concerns you concerns me good gracious what have i done to bring all this about pray do not look so alarmed said amberley personally you have done nothing indeed on second thoughts i don't know that i am right in saying that it concerns you at all the fact of the matter is khan a burglary took place last night at wiltshire house and the famous necklace has disappeared good heavens you don't say so but i do the circumstances of the case are as follows when my cousin retired to her room last night after the ball she unclasped the necklace and in her husband's presence placed it carefully in her jewel case which she locked that having been done wiltshire took the box to the room which contained the safe and himself placed it there locking the iron door with his own key the room was occupied that night according to custom by the butler and one of the footmen both of whom have been in the family since they were boys next morning after breakfast the duke unlocked the safe and took out the box intending to convey it to the bank as usual before leaving however he placed it on his study table and went upstairs to speak to his wife he cannot remember exactly how long he was absent but he feels convinced that he was not gone more than a quarter of an hour at the very utmost their conversation finished she accompanied him downstairs where she saw him take up the case to carry it to his carriage before he left the house however she said i suppose you have looked to see that the necklace is all right how could i do so was his reply you know you possess the only key that will fit it she felt in her pockets but to her surprise the key was not there if i were a detective i should say that is a point to be remembered said khan with a smile pray where did she find her keys upon her dressing-table said amberley though she has not the slightest recollection of leaving them there well when she had procured the keys what happened why they opened the box and to their astonishment and dismay found it empty the jewels were gone good gracious what a terrible loss it seems almost impossible that it can be true and pray what did they do at first they stood staring into the empty box hardly believing the evidence of their own eyes stare how they would however they could not bring them back the jewels had without doubt disappeared but when and where the robbery had taken place it was impossible to say after that they had up all the servants and questioned them but the result was as they might have foreseen no one from the butler to the kitchen maid could throw any light upon the subject to this minute it remains as great a mystery as when they first discovered it i am more concerned than i can tell you said khan how thankful i ought to be that i returned the case to her grace last night but in thinking of myself i am forgetting to ask what has brought you to me if i can be of any assistance i hope you will command me well i'll tell you why i have come replied lord amberley 
Naturally, they are most anxious to have the mystery solved and the jewels recovered as soon as possible. Now, Wiltshire wanted to send to Scotland Yard there and then, but his wife and I eventually persuaded him to consult Klimo. Now, as you know, if the police authorities are called in first, he refuses the business altogether. Now, we thought you are his next-door neighbour, you might possibly be able to assist us. You may be very sure, my lord, I will do everything that lies in my power. Let us go in and see him at once. As he spoke, he rose and threw what remained of his cigarette into the fireplace. His visitor, having imitated his example, they procured their hats and walked round from Park Lane into Belverton Street to bring up at number one. After they had rung the bell, the door was opened to them by the old woman, who invariably received the detective's clients. "'Is Mr. Klimo at home?' asked Khan. "'And if so, can we see him?' The old lady was a little deaf, and the question had to be repeated before she could be made to understand what was wanted. As soon, however, as she realised their desire, she informed them that her master was absent from town, but would be back, as usual, at twelve o'clock to meet his clients. "'What on earth's to be done?' said the earl, looking at his companion in dismay. "'I'm afraid I can't come back again, as I have a most important appointment at that hour.' "'Do you think you could entrust the business to me?' asked Khan. "'If so, I will make a point of seeing him at twelve o'clock, and could call at Wiltshire House afterwards and tell the Duke what I have done.' "'That's very good of you,' replied Amberley. "'If you are sure it would not put you to too much trouble, that would be quite the best thing to be done.' "'I will do it with pleasure,' Khan replied. I feel it my duty to help in whatever way I can. Oh, you're very kind, said the other. Then, as I understand it, you are to call upon Klimo at twelve o'clock, and afterwards to let my cousins know what you have succeeded in doing. I only hope he will help us to secure the thief. We're having too many of these burglaries just now. I must catch this handsome and be off. Goodbye, and many thanks. Goodbye, said Khan, and shook him by the hand. The handsome, having rolled away, Khan retraced his steps to his own abode. "'Tis really very strange,' he muttered as he walked along. "'How often chance condescends to lend her assistance to my little schemes!' The mere fact that his grace left the box unwatched in his study for a quarter of an hour may serve to throw the police off on quite another scent. I'm also glad that they decided to open the case in the house, for if it had gone to the bankers and had been placed in the strong-room unexamined, I should never have been able to get possession of the jewels at all. Three hours later he drove to Wiltshire House and saw the Duke. The Duchess was far too much upset by the catastrophe to see anyone. "'This is really most kind of you, Mr. Khan,' said His Grace, when the other had supplied an elaborate account of his interview with Klimo. "'We are extremely indebted to you.' I am sorry he cannot come before ten o'clock tonight, and that makes this uh, stipulation of my seeing him alone. For I must confess I would like to have had someone else present to ask any questions that might escape me. But if that's his usual hour and custom, well, we must abide by it, that's all. I hope he will do some good, for this is the greatest calamity that has ever befallen me. As I told you just now, it has made my wife quite ill. She's confined to her bedroom and quite hysterical. "'You do not suspect anyone, I suppose?' inquired Khan. "'No, not a soul,' the other answered. "'The thing is such a mystery that we do not know what to think. I, "'I feel convinced, however, that my servants are as innocent as I am. "'Nothing will ever make me think them otherwise. "'I wish I could catch the fellow, that's all. "'I'd make him suffer for the trick he's played me.' "'Khan offered an appropriate reply, "'and after a little further conversation upon the subject, "'bade the irate nobleman good-bye and left the house.' 
From Belgrave Square he drove to one of the clubs of which he had been elected a member in search of Lord Orpington, with whom he had promised a lunch, and afterwards took him to a shipbuilder's yard near Greenwich in order to show him the steam yacht he had lately purchased. It was close upon dinner-time before he returned to his own residence. He brought Lord Orpington with him, and they dined in state together. At nine the latter bade him good-bye, and at ten Carne retired to his dressing-room and rang for Belton. "'What have you to report?' he asked, with regard to what I bade you do in Belgrave Square. "'I followed your instructions to the letter,' Belton replied. "'Yesterday morning I wrote to Messrs. Horniblow and Jimson, the house agents in Piccadilly, in the name of Colonel Braithwaite, and asked for an order to view the residence to the right of Wiltshire House.' I asked that the order might be sent direct to the house where the colonel would get it upon his arrival. This letter I posted myself in Basingstoke, as you desired me to do. At nine o'clock yesterday morning I dressed myself as much like an elderly army officer as possible and took a cab to Belgrave Square. The caretaker, an old fellow of close upon seventy years of age, admitted me immediately upon hearing my name and proposed that he should show me over the house. This, however, I told him was quite unnecessary, backing my speech with a present of half a crown. Whereupon he returned to his breakfast perfectly satisfied, while I wandered about the house at my own leisure. Reaching the same floor as that upon which is situated the room in which the Duke's safe is kept, I discovered that your supposition was quite correct, that it would be possible for a man, by opening the window, to make his way along the coping from one house to the other without being seen. I made certain that there was no one in the bedroom in which the butler slept, and then arranged the long telescope walking stick you gave me, and fixed one of my boots to it by means of the screw in the end. With this I was able to make a regular succession of footsteps in the dust along the ledge between one window and the other. That done, I went downstairs again, bade the caretaker good morning, and got into my cab. From Belgrave Square I drove to the shop of the pawnbroker, whom you told me you had discovered was out of town. His assistant inquired my business and was anxious to do what he could for me. I told him, however, that I must see his master personally, as it was about the sale of some diamonds I had had left me. I pretended to be annoyed that he was not at home and muttered to myself, so that the man could hear something about its meaning a journey to Amsterdam. And then I limped out of the shop, paid off my cab, and walking down a by-street, removed my moustache, and altered my appearance by taking off my greatcoat and muffler. A few streets further on I purchased a bowler hat in place of the old-fashioned topper I'd hitherto been wearing, and then took a cab from Piccadilly and came home. "'You have fulfilled my instructions admirably,' said Khan. "'And if the business comes off, as I expect it will, you shall receive your usual percentage. "'Now I must be turned into Climo, and be off to Belgrave Square "'to put his Grace of Wiltshire upon the track of this burglar.' "'Before he retired to rest that night, Simon Khan took something "'wrapped in a red silk handkerchief from the capacious pocket of the coat "'Climo had been wearing a few moments before. "'Having unrolled the covering, he held up to the light the magnificent necklace.' which for so many years had been the joy and pride of the ducal house of Wiltshire. The electric light played upon it and touched it with a thousand different hues. Where so many have failed, he said to himself, as he wrapped it in the handkerchief again and locked it in his safe. It is pleasant to be able to congratulate oneself on having succeeded. 
It is without its equal, and I don't think I shall be overstepping the mark if I say that I think when she receives it, Liz will be glad she lent me the money. Next morning, all London was astonished by the news that the famous Wiltshire diamonds had been stolen, and a few hours later, Khan learnt from an evening paper that the detectives who had taken up the case upon the supposed retirement from it of Climo were still completely at fault. That evening, he was to entertain several friends to dinner. They included Lord Amberley, Lord Orpington, and a prominent member of the Privy Council. Lord Amberley arrived late but filled to overflowing with importance. His friends noticed his state and questioned him. "'Well, gentlemen,' he answered, as he took up a commanding position upon the drawing-room hearthrug, "'I am in a position to inform you that Climo has reported upon the case, and the upshot of it is that the Wiltshire Diamond mystery is a mystery no longer.' Uh, "'What do you mean?' asked the others in a chorus. "'I mean that he sent in his report to Wiltshire this afternoon as arranged.' From what he said the other night, after being alone in the room with the empty jewel-case and a magnifying glass for two minutes or so, he was in a position to describe the modus operandi, and what is more, to put the police on the scent of the burglar. "'And how has it worked?' asked Khan. "'From the empty house next door,' replied the other. "'On the morning of the burglary, a man, purporting to be a retired army officer, called with an order to view.' got the caretaker out of the way, clambered along to Wiltshire House by means of the parapet outside, reached the room during the time the servants were at breakfast, opened the safe, and abstracted the jewels. "'But uh, how did Climo find all this out?' asked Lord Orpington. "'By his own inimitable cleverness,' replied Lord Amberley. "'At any rate, it has been proved that he was correct.' The man did make his way from next door, and the police have since discovered that an individual, answering to the description given, visited a pawnbroker's shop in the city about an hour later, and stated that he had diamonds to sell. If that is so, it turns out to be a very simple mystery after all, said Lord Orpington, as they began their meal. Thanks to the ingenuity of the cleverest detective in the world, remarked Amberley. In that case, here's a good health to Climo said the Privy Councillor, raising his glass. "'I will join you in that,' said Simon Carne. "'Here's a very good health to Climo, and his connection with the Duchess of Wiltshire's diamonds. May he always be equally successful.' "'Hear, hear to that,' replied his guests. End of The Duchess of Wiltshire's Diamonds by Guy Boothby, Part 2 Recording by Nigel Carrington in London, England, April 2011.